Good afternoon. What a wonderful thing to be here with um, some old friends, uh, some old neighbors who have shown up, and I hope many new friends as well. I remember when I uh, came to Calvary, I used to come to this preaching service uh, quite a bit. Um, I lived here between 1997 and 2000, and it was from this pulpit that I first heard Barbara Brown Taylor preach and Marcus Borg and Dom Crossan, all kinds of wonderful people. Uh, so thank you for this gift that you give to the community. And um, one of the things I remember about it from being a parishioner is that it was really interesting to see what kinds of texts people would pick uh, when they would get up to preach. And you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, I know that story. That story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who is short, who sees Jesus. And what a weird story to pick for Lent. What is this vacation Bible school story doing here today? Well, that's where I want to take you, into how I learned to see this text as so much more than vacation Bible school. It started back in the summer of 2016. I was writing and working very hard on a project that became my last book, a book called Grateful. So I was rooting around and studying gratitude. One of the things that I do when I'm working on a project is that I try to figure out where all of the key words uh, came from in the subject that I'm going to be writing about. And so, of course, the key word in a book about uh, the book, a book called Grateful is the word gratitude. And uh, the word we have in English, the Latin root word for gratitude, is a word called gratus. Now, that might not sound like very much to any of us if you don't know stuff about Latin, but one thing that I kind of remembered about this word is that it was a word that had economic implications. Um, in English, we kind of still hear that implication when we say that we're going to give someone something gratis, is that we're going to give somebody something for free. And so I, I started looking for the ways that gratitude was used um, in the ancient Roman Empire, how somebody living at the time of Jesus uh, would have heard the word gratitude, and how that would begin to shape the narrative of my book. Uh, what was very clear very quickly is that this word gratus was sort of caught up in the whole economic system of ancient Rome, that it had to do with gifts and exchange and obligation. And um, it was a word that presented itself with some awkwardness um, in that setting some 2,000 years ago. And so this little academic bunny trail uh, led, me, led me down a pathway in which in the late summer, early fall of 2016, uh, while the rest of the world was kind of going crazy with politics, I was reading an 800-page book on ancient Roman tax policy. And so there I was, buried in these pages of this huge and really boring tome. I do not suggest to any of you that you read it. Um, when I was invited to preach at a Presbyterian church, and I asked the pastor, what's the text for Sunday? And she said, Wh whatever it is in the lectionary. 
So I looked up the lectionary, and it was this passage. It was the Zacchaeus story. And so I very quickly said, oh, okay, out of ancient Roman tax policy and into Sunday school. And I reread this text, and there it stood. He entered Jericho and was passing through it, and a man there named Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector and was rich. Oh, oh, wait a second. I had always privileged the word short in this text. I had never privileged the words tax collector. And what I knew from reading that really boring 800-page book is that it would be very weird for a Jew to be a tax collector. What is a Jew doing as a tax collector in occupied Israel? The Romans are the enemy. You can't exactly go to Jerusalem University and get an MBA and become a tax collector in this world. How did Zacchaeus get to be a tax collector? Well, that's what I want to share with you today. And why that question, how does Zacchaeus get to be a tax collector, is incredibly significant in understanding what this passage is really about, and this passage is not for five-year-olds. What was going on here is that ancient Rome, their whole economic system, was caught up in their social structure. Some of you probably remember seeing a pyramid like this in your middle school world civilization textbook. And what this would be is a pyramid with Caesar on top and then the noble class here, soldiers and magistrates, artisans, merchants, all these sorts of people kind of in the middle of the pyramid. And then you'd get down to uh, laborers and peasants and slaves at the bottom of the pyramid. That was ancient Rome, a pyramid-structured society. Now, when I teach history, one of the things that I always think is sort of interesting about these kinds of structured societies is that it's very hard to keep them in business over a long period of time. And so Rome, despite the fact that it lasted for a 1,000 years, pyramid structures are kind of inherently unstable social structures because there's a few people at the top, and those few people at the top own all the stuff. And those many people at the bottom own very little. So when you look at wealth, it's the opposite kind of pyramid. So how did Rome keep this in place? Rome did that functionally two ways. One was through having a really horrifying, gruesome, scary army. Violence kept this whole social structure in place over a thousand years. But the other thing was, the Romans were smart enough to know that violence would not be the only thing that could keep their empire going. That they developed within that empire an economic system that literally bound people together in relationships that they could not escape. And this need for one another, this economic dependency, would be the thing that would help the Roman Empire work on a daily basis.
The way that this comes through in history and the way it comes through in the Bible is that this structure, the economics of it, were that the people on the top were considered to be patrons or benefactors of the whole of the system. And so it was the job of the rich, the job of the people at the top of the pyramid to give stuff, to provide protection, access, and provision for everyone else in the pyramid. And they would develop very specific relationships with people who were beneath them. Uh, People who were beneath them were referred to as the client of the patron. And the client of the patron, now that's not like if any of you are therapists or doctors or or lawyers or any of those things, and a client comes to you now and you enter into a contractual relationship. No, in the ancient Roman Empire, a client was more like client state. It meant you were a subject of someone else's will and power. It was not something that the client came to you and said, hey, let's enter in this business relationship. The patrons would have clients underneath them, and the patrons would give stuff down. And according to law, and the set of laws that governed this relationship was referred to as the obsequium laws, said that the client had to give stuff back up to the patron. So see what happens here? Is there's a development of an economic system of a superior and an inferior where the two are caught together in an absolute bound relationship in which the person on the bottom has no power and the person on the top has all the power. What made this work, this patronage system, was gratus. The stuff that the, pa- the patron gave down, protection, money, and access, those were referred to as the patron's grace and favor. Gratus. That's the word and the action uh, that we get grace in English. Someone is, sends their grace down to us. Uh, On the other side of the equation, when it moves from client to patron, the word is also called gratus. And what clients were required to give back up to patrons in this circle of exchange was their unending loyalty, their worship, and their cash. Taxes, tithes, and tributes. And when a client gave that to a patron, it was also called gratus. But in that part of the cycle, we translate that into English as gratitude. So the tax system of ancient Rome was part of this economic system of gratus, of gratitude. And now you can see why this is so mealy. How does a Jew who is a subject of the Roman Empire, an oppressed person, how does a Jew get to be a tax collector? Well, Romans were nothing if not smart. Once a year, they auctioned off a certain number of positions 
to people who might have managed to save money so that those people could actually buy their way up to a higher status in the pyramid. And that's what Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a guy who bought his job. And his job was to take your money and give it to your overlords. Now, think about this encounter. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was. Why is Zacchaeus trying to see who Jesus was? Because Jesus, this kind of out-of-control, prophetic, mystical rabbi who's walking all over the Holy Land, walking all over Palestine, is saying stuff about taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the things to, to God, God's. Zacchaeus has no idea what Jesus is going to say when he comes to town. And what if he tells the people of Jericho not to pay their taxes? Well, then Zacchaeus is going to have a huge problem because the Roman overlords are going to come down on Zacchaeus. And what if he says, pay your taxes? Well, then all of Zacchaeus' other Jewish neighbors are going to hate him even more because they've got to cough up the cash. And so Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus because he has to hear. He has to be the first in line to know what Jesus is going to say. And so he hears Jesus is coming to town. He rushes to the edge of Jericho to listen to what Jesus is going to say. He gets there. He can't see because he is actually short. And so he climbs a tree in order to see Jesus because that's what Zacchaeus always does. Zacchaeus is a climber. He does what comes naturally to him. He cuts in front of you in the line to see what is happening. He gets the better place. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in that tree, and what happens next is astonishing. Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree. And Jesus is not just talking about a tree. Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you get out of that economic system of injustice and corruption, whereby you are taking advantage of your neighbors, whereby you are damaging your own soul by participating in this complicit action with the Roman Empire. You come down out of that tree. And everyone around is watching, and Zacchaeus does it. He comes down. Sometimes people will say to me, that's not political. It's just a tree. And to that, I have to say, sorry. Sometimes the gospel is all about politics, and you know this is political because of the next thing that happens. Jesus says, oh, and by the way, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And that's the clue that this is about so much more than a tree. Because dinner invitations were part of the gratuit system. The only people allowed to issue a dinner invitation was a person at the top to a person at the bottom. And here in this little story, Jesus is the person at the bottom. He sees Zacchaeus. He calls him out of the pyramid. And then he says, by the way, I'm upending the pyramid too. By me, a lower status person, inviting myself to your house for dinner. The whole crowd gasps. Oh my gosh, this Jesus guy, he's gone right after the heart of Caesar. 
what are, what's going to happen next? And Zacchaeus says, yes. I think he's been waiting all of this time. His name in Hebrew actually means pure. He probably knows deep inside of himself that this is not the way that you should be a Jew. And Jesus invites him out of the pyramid to a table. And Zacchaeus says, yes. And then he goes on and he says, by the way, I am going to pay back four times as much as everything I stole, which is an astonishingly huge amount of money, for a tax collector would have stolen a lot along the way. And I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor. Zacchaeus gives up his job because there is no way that you can be a tax collector in the ancient Roman Empire and, and, and do this. It's impossible. This is Zacchaeus' complete conversion experience, coming out of complicity, coming out of this hierarchy, and saying that he is, for the rest of his life, willing to sit at this table with this rabbi, listening to these stories, where there is no one at the head, no one above anyone else, where all are fed and everyone has a place. And Jesus then says, today salvation has come to this house. This is one of the most powerful texts in the whole of the Christian New Testament. It is an invitation to Zacchaeus as an individual to stop being complicit with unjust systems. And Zacchaeus responds in such a way that he goes back towards the deepest meaning of his Hebrew name, purity, innocence. And I think it's also an invitation to the Jews as a whole. Because when you're an occupied people, the temptation is to cooperate. And I think that this little encounter with Jesus is a much bigger invitation to remind the Jews that they are never supposed to be part of pyramid systems. But instead, the vision God has always had for them since creation is a table set in the wilderness, a world of Sabbath and Jubilee, where gratus is not used in a corrupted system of holding people in slavery, but where thankfulness flows freely in response to the gifts of God for all of the people of God. And Jesus is reminding the Jews that this is their story. This is their story. And here today at Calvary, it's also an invitation to us. We are living in very difficult and painful times where the pyramids of human power are being constructed more fully than since the time of the ancient Roman Empire. I have a friend who is a scholar of early Christianity, the economics of the ancient Roman world, and he shocked me 
two summers ago when we were having a conversation about this, and he told me that the difference right now between the wealth of the people who are in the world's top 1%, the people who are at the top of our pyramid, and the poorest people in the world, that gap is actually bigger than when Caesar reigned 2,000 years ago is that our pyramid is taller, higher, and more unjust than that of the ancient Roman Empire. And so I hear these words flying through history, and I wonder, where am I sitting? Have I climbed a tree? Maybe not purposefully, maybe inadvertently. Maybe I was just trying to protect my family. Maybe I was just trying to feed them and make sure they were secure. But have I acted in complicity with a fundamentally unjust system? And that the pyramid is the problem. And what if Jesus walked by me? Would he say, come on down? And by the way, I'm having lunch with you today. This, my friends, is our invitation to rethink stories like this and understand that there's two structures of gratitude, one that is corrupt and one that is about us, and the other that is about God. Amen.